Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about, really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. This is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. Today, we are kind of getting back into the swing of our Sunday Candidate Highlight Series, but I'll confess this is not going to air on Sunday. Uh, it will air, I'm not sure yet. We're going to kind of figure that out probably on Wednesday, Thursday, but probably not Sunday. William Henry running for U.S. Senate here in Indiana. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me tonight, and I'm uh, very, very glad you have welcomed me on your show. I'm very glad to have welcomed on, uh, you on my show, just as the Hoosier State has welcomed me with open arms here the past month of me getting settled in. I'm actually, this is, William, this is exciting, you are the first episode in the official new studio. Yeah, we're in the official new digs here, we're getting things kind of set up, so I'm, I'm excited, but yeah, I am officially a Hoosier, I have been here for one month, still getting my, my feet wet, but you and I were discussing beforehand that Hoosier hospitality, it is everywhere, and it has been awesome, so I am so excited to be now officially a member of the great state of Indiana, and I'm excited to have people like you running for office to be able to bring the ideas that we talk about and promote here on the Brian Nichols Show on the, the constant to not just the people, but to actual policy. It's exciting stuff. So, William Henry, let's kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you, and why did you decide to run for U.S. Senate in Indiana? <laughs> Well, Brian, uh, yeah, I'm William Henry. Uh, I'm running for U.S. Senate, uh, seeking the nomination at convention at the first weekend of March here in Indiana. And I, I want to run because I know I have the skills and the experience to put forth 
uh, in Washington, D.C., um, from my experiences here in the state and be able to move those um, move those initiatives and those priorities forward and, and carry that torch to Washington, D.C. for the Hoosier state and be able to uh, focus on what Hoosiers need uh, and the U.S. altogether. And William, when we're talking to candidates, and this is where it gets real, because your average person sees politicians and they just turn off because they hear politicians speak. I, I call it politispeak. And when you hear politispeak, your average person will instantly write off whatever solution it is, whether it's a good idea or not, as a political solution. So part of the challenge that we see not just in the greater liberty world, but also from a, a policy standpoint, is getting our ideas into action. So let's start off here. What would you say is the best way for us liberty, and let's focus specifically on the libertarian uh, side of things, what's our best way to actually get our ideas into policy, but also making sure we're meeting people on the specific issues that they care about, and they can see that our ideas aren't just the same as the traditional red team or blue teams? Yeah, and I think that we have a lot of common ground with as individuals and citizens anyway. Uh, the Democrats and the Republicans and Libertarians all have common ground that we can stand on. There are a lot of nonpartisan issues that are very important that we need to take care of as a, as a country. And we can do that together if we work together. And that's reaching across the aisle. That's meeting in the middle on all of these issues and ensuring that everybody is being heard and those perspectives are being seen. And those initiatives are moving forward into actual substantive uh, legislation and, and law or rescinding the law and getting back to where we need to be constitutionally. <laughs> getting back to where we need to be. So let's start there, right? And, and this is where I think a lot of people are going to be interested in tuning in because they're looking for some different ways of doing things. And we talk about when we're approaching our target market, we're looking for people who are in that position where they're experiencing, we call a trigger event. And that is if something's happened where they're exploring other op options beyond that status quo. So I see some stuff out there and I've discussed it at length here in my show, but I would love to see not only what you see out there, but specifically for this, uh, the great state here of Indiana, what are some of the issues that you want to focus on? And I would say focus on because You've heard maybe some uh, from some constituents that that would be top of mind issues. Absolutely, fiscal and financial stability, and those—that's probably the biggest thing on everyone's mind right now because the the, the market and everything is just so unstable. And today, today we're seeing uh, the markets jump up and down, and we have no stability right now. And I think being thirty trillion plus in debt. We need to start to getting our spending uh, to debt uh, a ratio back down. We need to get that debt to income ratio equalized so we can have uh, more of a production economy and we're leading uh, production and we're leading manufacturing and we're leading in these, these ways on our soil and we're able to be self-sufficient and provide for our country and not be so um, needy and dependent on foreign trade. William, where would you focus first to start cutting? Because I think that right there is going to be the number one uh, question that we're going to get asked because everybody, it's almost like the the, the NIMBY, not in my backyard, um, approach to politics. Everybody has that, you know, hey, we can do this program, but as long as it's not specifically, you know, the housing unit behind my facility that I live at, what about this in, in terms of the policies that we'd cut? People get nervous. Like, well, what about the programs that impact me? Is there anywhere you'd want it to focus to start? And I guess let's kind of address some of the reasons why you'd want to uh, focus on cutting those specific areas. 
Yeah, and we would have to really assess these programs and, and really try to figure out with these agencies what's working and what's not. And we need to do that quickly. That way we can get these budgets squashed down and they can start uh, operating within a smaller uh, budget and within their means. Uh, each year we're seeing these uh, government agencies' budgets increase. They're asking for more and more money and there's really no justification for that in some of these programs. And we need to uh, really assess these programs and look at what we're doing and what we're spending and how that money is being handled. I think uh, a lot of these agencies could cut back on what they're spending. Uh, they need to cut back on what they're spending, uh, personnel and maybe f- some facilities and things like that. Do you have any specific areas you'd want to focus on, like any departments that you'd aim to start axing, I guess, from day one? If you if you were up there with Rand Paul, right? Rand Paul, heck, we'll even toss in some folks like Mike Lee, and, and you have the ability to start focusing on specific areas to cut. Is there anywhere that you would want to, to laser focus? Well, being a veteran and knowing my way around the veteran realm, I think a veteran's uh, spec- sector would probably be my first start to kind of look down in that because what we're doing is we're creating, uh, we're duplicating uh, services in a lot of these uh, in these cities uh, where these VA facilities are. And there's a lot of community uh, services too nearby. So we're duplicating these services and the federal government pays for a lot of that. I think um, with my idea for the veterans uh, community care program to expand that and use um, the VA card that is basically a federal ID for these veterans uh, to go outside the VA if they elect to and get their service-related and service-connected disabilities and issues taken care of that way. And I think we can save a lot of money doing that and we could see a lot of people starting to elect to move away from the VA system and that'll save us a lot of money from the facilities uh, and personnel and some of these other aspects that, that we spend millions and millions on um, and there's really no substance that comes out of it. I was writing down, I love solutions. And this, this is, this is the area sometimes libertarians have struggled is not being able to effectively and articulately present solutions to our ideas. We say, we need to cut spending. And then people say, where? And we say, well, here, here's an agency, just ax it. And it just seems very arbitrary, but rather, actually giving some immediate remedies that people can take. That's not the, you know, the, the one size fits all solution, you know, just overnight rip the bandaid off, which I think would terrify a lot of people. So that's good to hear that you do have some focuses like, like the VA, for example. So, um, and also you're, you're mentioning veteran issues and I, I'm sure that that is an issue that's near and dear to you. So maybe we could dig into that a little bit. What are your thoughts in terms of from a foreign policy perspective right now? We have a conversation on a national uh, and international stage where Ukraine and Russia are, are currently, it seems, at a you know a boiling point, or at least we're told that they're at a boiling point. I think they want them to be at a boiling point, so we have an excuse to not look at just how bad things have gotten economically. That's neither here nor there. Um, but maybe let's dig into your perspective from not only a libertarian context, but also as a veteran, con- uh, William. So what is your take in terms of, I guess, this this current conflict we're either going to experience or are currently seeing escalate over in the uh, the eastern europe lock yeah yeah and, and what i want to do is i want to give an example about where we just left afghanistan and we spent an unbelievable amount of money in that country to uh, build buildings and schools and give these community things that they really didn't need. And we were wasting a lot of money. And, and these communities didn't need these buildings. They didn't use these buildings. Uh, the, the kids running around the villages barefoot in the in the middle of the winter, in the middle of the mountains, uh, they needed other things. And uh, the, the focus uh, that we had uh, wasn't, you know, an exact 
it wasn't a well-focused mission. And what we did is we disarmed a whole country. Uh, we took all of their weapons away and, and we set up a military and we set up a police force for them. Uh, we trained that military and police force. Um, and we, we let those people rely uh, not on what we practice in the Second Amendment to, to arm themselves and to protect themselves as citizens, but we took that individual right away from them. And what we did is we disarmed the whole country. So when we had pulled out so quickly, uh, those, those government uh, um, agencies that we had helped put in place, the Army and the Afghan National Police, kind of fell apart really quickly. And these areas where the tribal uh, areas, they could have protected themselves from any kind of infiltration, and yet they were left armless and defenseless. And to rely on the armies that we had set up uh, for them uh, – to use. So um, I think the same principle needs to be looked at the way we use in Ukraine is these people need to be arming themselves. We need to tell these people to get ready for foreign invaders and protect themselves just like we would. Uh, we would protect ourselves in this country and we arm ourselves and we we pride on the Second Amendment and being able to do that. So let's not do that. Let's encourage these people to protect themselves. Let's encourage the military to still, again, fight for their sovereignty. Um, we have an, a, an embassy and some and some staff and some some military there. That's our assets that we would need to worry about and work with. Outside of that, um, I think that you know our involvement in these foreign conflicts is very costly, not only in money, but in individual costs. The human capital that that gets damaged in these uh, in these conflicts is it's insurmountable. You can't put a price on uh, damaging these individuals going overseas and fighting for uh, these reasons that we don't really have a reason because it's not for self protection. Uh, it's it's for foreign involvement, and we're we're not our military really needs to be used to to help our our country and help defend ourselves. And I know the cost that it, it takes for uh, veterans to go overseas. And I know the costs incurred on families and communities because of those deployments. Um, we need to really focus on uh, pushing that country to protect itself and to stand up for itself and to fight for its sovereignty like it did before um, and, and support that in that aspect. There is a growing, I think, understanding and appreciation for just how awful war is. And thank God, because for a while there, if you weren't in favor of the, you know, the rah, rah, you know, USA, USA, you know, carpet bombing the Middle East. And I, I remember hearing it on conservative talk radio, you know, we're going to turn Iraq into a parking lot and then make a giant Walmart. And I just, I, I, as a kid, I thought that was a little sick because I was like, that would, if that was my home, I'd be upset. But that, as a kid, you don't really think about it beyond the context of, of a kid. And you don't have that, that, I guess, that tribal anger that everybody else seems to as you start to go towards, you know, more of the, the political sentiments. And, and then it goes more into this, this tribal nationalist sentiment. And we saw this really fester up with the Trump era. And yet, let's, you know, kind of address the reality that under the Trump presidency, it was, it was probably one of the most calm foreign policy times we've had. And it was 
rather refreshing. And in just a year and a half now of the Biden administration, I think a year and a half, it feels like you know, 10 years at this point. Um, but we've seen, we're already seeing escalations in, in conflicts across the United, or across, across the globe, not only talking about Russia and Ukraine. We've seen rising tensions with China and Taiwan. We saw what happened as we pulled out of, of Afghanistan. Let's, you know, be fair from a libertarian standpoint, that was absolutely the right decision to pull out. But in the manner in which it was done and just leaving equipment billions of dollars behind, I think your average person also sees that that was completely out of, uh, out of the, the realm of, of any sense of, of, common sense or, or understanding of what to do in that kind of situation. And that right there, people are looking for, and ironically enough, they were looking for it back when they voted him in for un- replacing Biden now, is that return to normalcy. Can we just have things feel like normal again, William? And I think a lot of that has been due to the administration's incessant desire, I would say, to play along with this notion that we have a zero COVID strategy. And and I wanted to maybe focus on this as we focus the last 10 minutes or so of the episode towards what's happened in the past two years and what I think is still going to be one of the top conversations as we move forward here is what happened with the COVID-19 lockdowns and the mandates and the response that we're seeing right now your average person is done. They're standing up in mass and fighting back. Thank goodness. Now, a lot of us have been saying, where have you been, folks? Uh, because we've needed you. But hey, we'll take the support now while we can get it. But we do see right now um, a, a weird fight still from this administration and from others out there across the globe. We see it up in Canada right now with Justin Trudeau, who are still trying to cling to this narrative. So what was your take, William? And and as a, a candidate for U.S. Senate, obviously you would be impacting federal policy as it pertains to the COVID lockdowns and mandates. What would be your approach from that perspective in terms of, number one, addressing what's happening right now, but more importantly, I think this is the most important maybe, number two, never letting this happen again. Well, I think uh, that we saw this systematically uh, set up since the Patriot Act. And over those years, we uh, created legislation that kind of created this ability to give the executive branch that control uh, over our governments at the federal level, state level, and even local level. We saw this down. uh, It was a um, kind of a design uh, by response, and it was driven by the emergency response uh, design uh, and the 9-11 Patriot Act and those type of things. what if we had to respond to a pandemic, you know, uh, what would we do in those cases? So those type of things were kind of mapped out. And, and, uh, and on that way, in June 2019, they renamed uh, the uh, Pandemic and All Innovations Act of 2019. Um, and then we saw this happen in March. Uh, we saw the pandemic being used as a reason to uh, initiate the emergency responses. And we saw uh, almost on a global level uh, uh, response the same across the board and it, it, almost down to the individual level. And it was down to the individual level to, to control uh, people and make sure that their uh, movement was uh, restricted. And a lot of governors even, you know, and these local areas violated the constitution and told these people they couldn't assemble, told them that they couldn't worship the way that they wanted to that Easter, a number of things that uh, they couldn't attend public meetings or ask any questions during that time. And those type of things, a lot of, 
violations happened and, and need to be challenged. And they are starting to be challenged at the local level too. But I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of this stuff happen to be challenged at the, at the state level and even the federal level too here soon. Uh, a lot of people's uh, livelihoods and jobs uh, were completely destroyed by the shutdowns. They were relied, a lot of people relied on the service industry. The service industry took a huge hit. Uh, and now we see the fast food restaurants struggling to, to hire folks. Uh, we, you know, they moved on to other jobs. Uh, and now we're trying to fill that sector again. And it's really tough on our economy because we're, we're we become a consumer economy. Um, and we need to become a more production and manufacturing economy and be able to be more self-sustaining too. But um, having all of this control over us uh, during this time down to the individual level, it was almost as if it was created by design because of the, the fear instated uh, because of the, the um, acts of 9-11 and some of these other terrorist acts around the, around the world. So uh, we, we pretty much uh, have systematically and incrementally uh, given up our rights in these sectors as the legislative branch has handed over that power to the executive branch during this time. And we've seen um, this just take a stranglehold on on society too. And it's created nothing but conflict. Um, and it hasn't stopped the virus. Uh, I worked helping uh, handle some of the specimen uh, for the development of the vaccines. And uh, we spent as citizens $10 each to the laboratories and the vaccine companies to develop this. Citizens are invested in the data related to the approvals of these vaccines. And we own this data and we're entitled to it. And I want that data opened up to the public so we can have an independent medical review on what exactly uh, COVID is from an outside standpoint, from outside the government agencies, especially the FDA and CDC, uh, who have been pushing so hard uh, on the vaccines without really much explanation. They haven't been uh, giving us much uh, uh, transmission details. They kept saying that the masks were preventing transmission. What, um, and working in the laboratories and in, in these instances, you know, uh, the masks, um, you know, they really weren't a factor in helping prevent the spread of this. And a lot of people uh, went to the store during closed hour, you know, certain hours, they corralled everyone in during those hours. They made everything more automated. Everyone's touching the same pen pads. Everyone's grabbing the carts. Everyone's grabbing the things off the shelves. And even those deliveries are even being handled. So I think a lot of this stuff uh, could have been prevented too in the transmission side if we push more on the, on the cleanliness and, and, and um, the sta the old standards that we have, you know, if you're sick, just stay away from someone uh, until the virus subsides and you're not spreading it. Uh, stay home and uh, d don't go around others. This is a risk of our environment now. And working in the laboratory setting and, and helping, uh, you know, compile and work this data, um, you know, I, I understand a lot more. And, and none of my opponents have that type of experience. They don't have the hands-on experience in the laboratory during the peak uh, of these vaccine uh, emergency trials going on and be able to process some of these kits and receive these kits from all over the world uh, uh, for these major pharmaceutical companies. Um, but at the same time, I saw these major pharmaceutical companies paying uh, huge 
uh, amounts of money to have their their specimen front loaded so they could reach the finish line first. And uh, I think uh, that a lot of that data needs to be opened up and needs to be opened up to the public. Uh, this immunity needs to be taken away from the vaccine uh, creators. And we really need to dig into that data and, and give the public the answers to the safety and efficacy of the vaccine and the reasons why maybe it didn't, uh, didn't work as correctly as we wanted it to. Um, and I think a lot of what we'll find is we pushed it through really really fast. And there was a lot of things that we potentially missed. And we need to understand that we need to look at this data and the people own this data. And uh, I, you know, I want to introduce legislation that takes that immunity away from those companies. And if they can't stand behind a product, uh, they shouldn't be pushing that product to the public. <laughs> you know, I'm a sales guy and that's like one of the like core ethical rules of sales. You don't push a product that's going to harm your consumer. Now, I'm not saying that for purposes exclusively of not getting removed from uh, any podcasting or YouTube medium. We just got the YouTube channel actually like doing quite well. So I don't want to like nuke it that quickly. But with that being said, I will say it is definitely eye-opening when you're seeing all these different countries starting to pause their different uh, requirements. They're pausing their mandates. And in some cases, they're no longer recommending the vaccine for certain age groups. It, it, I've had this saying on Twitter, and I don't know if I've said it on the show, but truly... It seems the difference between yesterday's news and the conspiracy theory is about six months. So, um, you know, it's, it's now, I think breaking news is about three months. So we're getting to the point now, your average person in the comment section, they've, the conversations change. I used to, you know, when the pandemic started, you go to the CNN comment section or the, the New York Times comment section on Facebook, wherever it may be, you know, Twitter. And you would see it would be a lot of the, you know, Hey, we're in all in this together. And it would be a lot more defensive of the the narrative the the main narrative and now it's the exact opposite it, and not only is it the exact opposite it's being mm-hmm. it's being reaffirmed in mass with the, the the likes the the comments the retweets wherever the the platform is whatever that medium is you're seeing there is an increase in the sentiment that people are done they're tired of this and and most importantly they are looking to make sure this never happens again so with that being said yes that we could make sure that that will never happen again if we elect the right people and that requires us to make sure that we're nominating the right people so obviously right now we want to make sure we're pointing people towards a call to action William Henry so we're at this point we are approaching the opportunity for people to get involved uh, support your campaign here in Indiana but they want to know how tell them how here uh, here at the Brian Nichols show audience Absolutely. You can go to williamhenry.us. You can find more information about me there, my services to the state and all the things that I've done on the advocacy and organizational side. Uh, I would love for volunteers, uh, um, endorsements, donations, all of that. And and I really want just people to reach out with questions and comments. And um, I really s- appreciate all the support that I'm getting around the state and uh, pushing that message of liberty. Uh, it's been an absolute uh, thrill and pleasure to be able to represent the Libertarian Party in this nomination and and all the things that we're doing in, the, in Indiana uh, for the Libertarian Party. Well, William, I'll make sure I, uh, I give you a nice little handshake there in person as I'll be hosting one of these seminars. Actually, there's going to be four seminars. They're all going to be the same. It gives people more of an option and they're going to be talking about how to really sell liberty like a normal person to normal people. So if you're going to be here in Indiana and you want to go ahead and check out that uh, presentation, well, please make sure you stop by. See yours truly, but also if you're in town, Absolutely. stop in and see today's guest, William Henry. Thank you for joining The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks, Brian.
Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life. Raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docuseries highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.